Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Power, the reliable, quick, and scalable EV charging solutions for everyone and everywhere. And Star Charge, the largest EV charging manufacturer in the world and is also a provider of residential and commercial battery storage. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Out of Spec podcast. I'm your host, Francie, and if you're here, you're probably curious about all the electric topics we cover, like electric vehicles, EV charging, and renewable energies, all of which we will be talking about today. I am beyond amped to have Joe Cleaver joining me today to talk all about his beyond cool solar-powered cannonball trip he did from New York to Los Angeles, and everything that happened along the way. Joe, welcome. Thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Thanks. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, it's great. Great to have you. I've um, got to admit, I have a lot of questions for you. I want to ask that it just seems like such a once-in-a-lifetime experience, or more than once if you're lucky, but yeah. I love road <laughs> trips. I love EVs. I love solar power, so I'm really excited to pick your brain. It seems like you kind of made a dream of yours come true, and I'd love to start with talking about your inspiration for this because I know that you've mentioned that when you were, you're basically kind of born an engineer or like a thinker or a curious kid, and you loved the idea of solar power, but then later in life, with this trip, you know, you you said that you found inspiration when you saw the Cybertruck and that it would be able to fit mm-hmm. a pretty big solar panel setup. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, this childhood inspiration, but then how it grew into this slow but awesome solar cannonball trip? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think when I was a kid, I used to draw pictures of uh, solar panels and rockets all the time. And uh, I kind of went away from that and became a mechanical engineer. And uh, I started looking into solar again because I, I was kind of getting bored just doing gears and shafts. And then the Cybertruck was announced. And I think it was right around Thanksgiving and we were driving to my parents' house. And so I had, you know, 10 hours just to ponder. And it had just been announced. And I was talking to my wife. And it's like, we should just go ahead and reserve one. She's like, ah, okay. And now she can't wait to get it. As soon as we get it, it's going to be hers. But uh, <laughs> Oh, really? But so I'm driving down the road this whole time and I'm just thinking about the Cybertruck and all of its capabilities because it's the first, you know, truck really. Uh, then, then, you know, Rivian and all these others came out, but there really wasn't much for trucks in the bed size. And I still at the panel I had and I was like, man, I could fit a ton of these in the back of the Cybertruck. I could charge the Cybertruck with solar in the back of the Cybertruck. And so that was kind of my first thought. And then of course, reservations, it's taken forever and I ended up with a Model Y when the prices dropped. Uh, I haven't even had a year. I got it uh, uh, last year, right when the prices dropped. So there wasn't much time. And I thought, well, I'll just do it in this thing. I got enough space, and it's really efficient aerodynamically. It's great, and it's got enough room to fit everything in there. So I said, all right. I started 
pulled up SolidWorks and started CAD modeling what the interior would look like and how I could fit everything. And, uh, you know, you go to these inverter companies and batteries and you can download the CAD model and start stuffing it all in the car and figuring out you know, what's going to fit and not going to fit. And it's like, sure enough, it fits. So, all right, I'm going. <laughs> How fun. Yeah, I, I feel like the design process was in the setup was probably really fun to do. And so as a kid, you were drawing solar panels. I mean, uh, what kid isn't drawing solar panels, right? Yeah. Um, and then as I'd love to, you know, from childhood to now, as the technology has obviously developed a lot, what has been most exciting for you to see advance uh, in the solar power you know industry and with that technology yeah it the the power and efficiency of the panels has gotten better also the price has gotten significantly better but the power electronics have just gotten crazy you know i mean look at evs you know they're four or five hundred horsepower and the inverter is just this little tiny box that sits on top of the motor and the motor you know they're like the core of the motor is only you know this big around and it's cranking out you know hundreds of horsepower and all that same technology is in uh, solar because you got to go solar, you know, DC right to AC. And it's pretty much the same technology as a variable frequency drive or the drives in a electric car. So that technology has gotten much cheaper and uh, and it's, it's more um, attainable for everyone now. You can go out and buy um, small solar setups. You know, some of them are still expensive, but if you if you go out and build it yourself or buy the components, it's a lot better price than say buying one of the all-in-one units units. Although those are, those have come down a lot too. You know, like the, gosh, what is it? The, um, you have Jackery and then some of the other brands, EcoFlow. Those have really come down in price to where now anyone can go out and buy a solar generator and hook it up and start doing it. So. Yeah, true. With that, you know, advancement of technology, it's amazing to see the price come down and have it be more attainable for whatever kind of project you're trying to do. So, of course, that became more accessible to you as well. And when and why did you finally make the decision to do the cannonball with solar? That was probably a year ago. I started planning it and I was trying to figure out how I was going to get time off work to do it. And um, originally I was going to do it. I was working at GM. I was going to do it in a Cadillac Lyric. And, uh, so I had one of those reserved Nice. and then, um, they, you know, GM was trying to downsize, reduce the employees and they went through and did a voluntary separation program. And for me, that meant six months pay. So if I left, I got a lump sum of six months. So how did I finance this whole thing? Well, GM, <laughs> so I took the six month lump sum and I always wanted to start a business. So I'm working on some other businesses in the background, uh, mostly in drivetrain, so powertrain, gearbox design, things like that. But I had this awesome window of opportunity, and I said, well, if I'm going to do it, this is the time to do it. So I had you know, ordered the panels direct from the manufacturer, had everything created in, and uh, was starting to build it out. So that's why I did it now instead of later. Um, it would have been better to kind of wait till the end of the year, uh, you know, around May of this year. But by then, I didn't know what I was going to be doing, and, you know, the opportunity to just take a month or two off of work and not do anything is pretty rare. So I took it. It is. It's super rare. And sometimes you don't ask for it. And sometimes you're presented with an interesting, complicated opportunity. So yeah, you just kind of got to jump on it in life sometimes. And I know you did most of this project on your own, but did anyone join you along the way? And also maybe just in case anyone doesn't know, a can the cannonball. T oh, tell yeah. me what the cannonball is. Yeah. So I, I learned about it reading a, a book, uh, Roy, now I'm blanking on his last name. Um, but you go from New York City to LA and it's kind of a historic route where they did it a long time ago. And when they first did it, it was just a feat to do it because the infrastructure, the highways wasn't really there. And then it started getting people going faster and faster and faster. I think Kyle's done it um, in an EV and it's usually usually illegal, so you can't you know broadcast it and do it on YouTube, like I did, because <laughs> um, you're in, ex in excess of the speed limit. Um, although I, I may have broken the law a few times going too slow, but I tried to keep it 55 and legal above the speed limit or you know above the minimum. Right. But yeah, so it's 3,000 miles, and you're just trying to get there as quick as possible. And there's all kinds of strategies. You know, do you have a, a large fuel tank where you don't have to stop as often? Do you just go really, really fast and then fuel up a bunch of times? And then how do you not get caught? You know, you have all kinds of, you know, radar and, you know, uh, fancy equipment that you can outfit with. For me, it was, it was all about efficiency. So I had to be as efficient as possible. 
So I chose to drive at night and charge during the day. And I thought, you know, I, I looked at it and I ran the numbers and I said, ideal conditions, I could do it in 20 days. And it's like, that's pretty good. But that was planning on leaving earlier in the year and not running into all the issues I had. So 20 days, I was like 20 days, 30 days, maybe more likely and 40 days, kind of a worst case. Well, it turned into I think 57 days, worst case. <laughs> so it was a lot longer than I anticipated, but you know, so it's, there's so many people doing it or there's different ways to do it. And I thought it would be really cool in the future, you know, companies like Aptera or when solar cars are more prevalent that you could do it with a group of people and you could plan out a route and maybe you go and you charge for two or three days and you just kind of do this really cool cross country tour with a group of 20, you know, 15, 20 people. So I thought, well, I'll try it. I'll go, I'll go, you know, blaze a trail now and try it out, see how it works. And, uh, I don't know. It was harder than I thought. So I don't know if I'd do it again. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask you that later. Yeah. Would you do it again? But um, I'm sure it was, I mean, it's one of those things that you're glad you did, but it took longer. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of learning along the way. And you were on your own the whole time or did you have anyone join you? Yeah, it was all a solo mission, except I did have the support of family and you know, my wife and uh, my parents. So that was huge. You know, there's a yeah. few times I wanted to quit. I'm like, I don't know, this is, I'm done. And my wife would, would tell me, it's like, I don't want you to come home until you've got to the uh, Portofino Inn. So until you're there, you're not coming <laughs> home. <laughs> it's like, you got to finish it. You got to go. So That tough love. Yep. Yeah, that's great. That's great that you had that support along the way. And I think it would be so cool to do this with a group with Apteras or whatever it is. So if that happens, definitely count me in. So I'd love to talk about the setup. And like I said, I think this is what I really love about my long road trips is prepping, especially if I'm camping along the way, but making sure I have the supplies, my route and all of the organizing is is so fun for me personally. So let's talk about how you prepared. Um, so you you were you have you were decided to take your model Y, right? So mm -hmm. was this an ideal choice for you or is just like this is what I have? Well, I think it was both. Um, in terms of how much volume it has inside and efficiency. I don't think you could do better. You know, a model three would be more efficient, but you lose a lot of space without mm -hmm. the hatchback. You can't really get the kind of access I would need to pack it full of stuff. So I would say it was really the perfect vehicle, at least now, obviously a full solar car, you know, where it's just solar panels would be the more optimal, but uh, a lot of those have support crews. You know, they got a van following them with flashers on so they can drive slower when they need to, mm -hmm. and they don't have all their equipment with them. So in this case, I had everything with me and, you know, I took, it took a while to kind of go through and I had lists of everything I would need. And then I would set the tent up in the backyard and go live in it for a day and make sure I had everything <laughs> I needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Cause once I hit the road, I couldn't afford to take a, a detour to just drive off and go get some more supplies. So no, truly. If I, was, if I was close to something I could, but it was pretty rare. I had to have everything I needed with me. So was that the, um, which, which trim of the Tesla model? Y did you have and what battery did you have? It's, was it the 4680? No, it was the uh, 2170 and it was the long range version. So the dual motor nice. long range. Okay. Very cool. Um, and then you, of course, had room in the Model Y for these solar panels. Why did you choose these particular solar panels from SunPower? And I know you have a video with the Monroe Live channel where you walked through kind of your setup out of the, out of the hatchback. So I'll link that in the show notes and folks can make sure to check that out. But what drew you to say, yeah, sun power, these are what I'm going to use for my solar cannonball. Yeah, they're some of the highest quality panels. And you get a lot of these flexible, lightweight panels on Amazon, and they have claimed output power. And then you test them, and it's like, no, it's not really 100 watts. And these, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, processors or other silicon. They, they'll, they'll make the cells, and then they'll sort them, and they'll have like a premium version and the panels I got, I was actually able to get more than 100 watts. So normally you get a 100 watt panel and you get 80 or 90 watts. Well, I got a 100 watt mm -hmm. panel that could do 110 watts. Mm -hmm. um, so I really liked the quality of SunPower, and uh, they I actually quit making them. So they're kind of hard to get, but you can get them at kind of a good deal right now. So I went directly to SunPower, which is actually they split to Maxion, and now Maxion is selling. Uh, is selling out all the rest of their stock. So I went directly to Maxion and shipped two pallets directly to my house and then unboxed mm -hmm. them and packed them all in. So they're just wow. the best panel I could find. 
I think backup uh, would probably be the EcoFlow 100 watt flexible panel. Mm-hmm. And then there's a few others now that have come out since then that might be good too. So, but at the okay. time they were the best. So I said, I'll just go with the best. Yeah, of course. Especially going so long. You're like, I don't want to skimp out on this supply. <laughs> this is my, yeah. this is my power supply. And you, you mentioned the uh, Maxion. And so these were the same cells that are in the Aptera, right? And yeah. um, so it seems like you, you, you are a fan of the Aptera. Uh, have you been kind of tracking that progress? What do you think about that EV, which is, if for those who don't know, is doesn't it have three wheels or is it four wheels? Is it a four? Yeah, three wheels. Yep. Three wheels. Um, kind of cool. I mean, it kind of looks like a rocket on its side to me that ha- is powered by solar. Um, and I've been keeping an eye on them, you know, but yeah, what draws you to Aptera? What do you think they're doing right or wrong? Yeah. Well, you know, I haven't followed them super close, but I've seen pictures of it and I go and check in every once in a while. What's really cool is is they really went after efficiency. I remember hearing a quote, this was maybe 15 years ago, and um, it was the Rocky Mountain Institute. Um, I forget the guy's name, uh, Army, the guy that that was running at the time. And he says, it's amazing to me that it takes 4,000 pounds of steel to transport a 200-pound person or something along that lines. You know, it's why, you know, in this, this year, you know, 2023, we're still taking... You know, 4,000 pounds of metal plastic uh, just to transport one person. You know, you think we could do better than that. And Aptera really went after efficiency. And it looks like, to me, it looks like a small airplane. And airplanes are all about aero, right? They don't put a big fancy grill on it to make it look cool. <laughs> it's like, no, it's got to fly. And Aptera is like, no, it's got to be really efficient. So we're not going to put all these stylistic things on it that aren't there for a purpose. And you look at the way it just trails off. And there's like hardly any area on the tail end of it. It's just this little sliver. And so they really went after aerodynamics and efficiency. And then on top of that, they, they kind of switched. And originally it was an uh, internal combustion engine. And then they switched over to electric and then put enough solar panels on it to where they get 40 miles range in a day. But even if you're not using solar, it's so efficient, you could just charge it up. And, you know, hardly electric vehicles right now are cheap to charge. But the Aptera, I mean, you'd spend pennies if you had to charge it. So... It was cool to see someone finally tackle something that goes between uh, like an e-bike or a bicycle and a full-blown 4,000-pound car, and no one was making anything in between. So, Yeah, it'll be really cool to see how they develop and hopefully finally get this kind of thing on the road. It, it is such a futuristic idea, um, and the design is really cool. So if anyone hasn't looked into it, just check it out. It's definitely a forward-thinking um, you know, vehicle. And... So, of course, you have the solar panels that co- you know, are collecting the photons, the energy, and then kind of walk us through how does that finally get into your Model Y's battery to power your travel? You had this Solark inverter, right? So can you kind of walk me through that setup? Yeah, it's it's kind of less than ideal, but it's currently what's out there. So I've got it, you know, I really I wanted a DC to DC, you know, something that takes a solar and then goes right, plugs into the the connector on the Tesla and charges it. And since I couldn't really get anything like that and I looked for a good year, um, there's things where you could maybe, if you were to disassemble the car and get directly onto the battery and get some special electronics and you were an electrical engineer, maybe you could do it. Uh, that's not me. I'm mechanical. So I did it all with off the shelf stuff. I went and bought an inverter that normally powers like a small home. And in order to kind of keep the inverter running, you need a battery. So how it works is you get the solar in and solar you need a tracker to really optimize how much solar power you're getting and it's constantly fluctuating the voltage and it's trying to figure out the voltage at which you can extract the most energy from the panels so that takes in the power from the panels and then it converts it to a dc bus of around 48 volts that charges the battery this auxiliary battery i have and then you have that's your your buffer your bank and then it takes that 48 volt and then uh takes it to AC. In this case, it's 240 volt uh, AC, just like uh, what your air conditioner in your home would use or dryer plug, things like that. And then I just plugged the Tesla mobile charger into that. So I took the Tesla mobile charger. Basically, I built a small off-grid home in the back of a car. And then I just plugged it in. It was all plug and play. So so it's a pretty familiar setup, but just in a, if you have at-home EV charging, but you had to figure out how to put it into a mobile scenario right. and like yeah not ideal maybe it would be really cool if we could do the dc to dc but 
That's a bigger undertaking, right? Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. as bad as I thought. If if I took my auxiliary battery, which was five kilowatt, and I drained it completely into the car, I would get about four kilowatt. So about 80% from the battery to the car. Now, I okay. think when I was getting solar power and going from solar direct to the car, it was a little more efficient. But okay. yeah, still, so 20%, that's the hit I took, but it worked, so. Yeah, so that's not the worst efficiency for what you're doing, you know? I yeah. mean, I know there's a lot of ways that we can lose you know, energy as it goes from here to there, point A to point B, but 80% efficiency, not too shabby. Yeah. Did you feel I mean, that a, way or? Yeah. I mean, an, an internal combustion engine is maybe 30% and a, a diesel is maybe 40. So mm -hmm. 80 is pretty good. I'll take 80%. Yeah. yeah and that's we'll a lot of conversions because it not only does it, do I have to produce AC for the car, but then the car takes the AC and then converts it back to DC. So I'm right. going from high voltage solar to low voltage battery to AC, to the car, and then back to DC. So, you know, that's a lot of steps for only losing 20%. So, I'd take it. That, it really is. There's a lot of steps. It's, um, I think it's great to to break it down to see exactly how it's traveling from the sun into your battery because um, it's, it's not super simple. I don't think a lot of people, you know, in general, are also familiar of, like, how can we really harvest this energy to literally take us from New York to LA? Yeah. So, um. As speaking of that route, how did you pick your route and your stopping points? So I started mapping it all out in uh, in Google Google Maps, and I'd find you know a distance. I'd look at satellite images to figure out how much sun I thought I could get at that location. And then after my first stop, I threw it all out the window because none of it worked. <laughs> my my biggest problem was I was planning to leave right when school started so that parks and everything would be more open. And I got a late start and all of a sudden it's fall color tours. People are going to the parks for the fall colors oh. and they're full. And so my first stop, I couldn't stay long enough to get a full charge. They're completely booked up. And so I could only get, I don't know, it was like three days. And uh, so, so I'm leaving on 60% instead of hundred percent. That changes my next stop, which then changes my next stop and my next stop. And of all the stops I planned out, I think the only ones that worked was the first stop, uh, one in Texas that happened to be right in the right, you know, skip along the way. And then the final stop of the hotel, that was it. Everything else was improvised. So, wow. and a lot of it was, I would just be in the tent or wherever, just searching places and then calling them up and talking to people. That's where I'd end up at weird spots. You know, someone's farm, airport, charging at an airport. I was on some Bureau of Land Management sites, which is just free use. Um, yes. Just anything I could find. So, yeah, I, I love um, the Bureau of Land Management all across the U.S., the BLM land. I've used that for camping so much, and it's some of the most beautiful spots that's free, open to the public land, which I, I have to love. And I'm going to ask you about the probably very likely characters you met along the way. Um, but I did want to ask about, um, well, I had a friend who he would plan out his life to a T, five or a year from now, five years, 10 years. And I asked him, I was like, well, Dustin, when the plan doesn't work out, what do you do? And he's like, well, you just make another plan. I was like, oh, that's a great answer. So that seems like kind of what you had to do was just, you know, if the plan doesn't come to be, we will make another one. And you mentioned camping that, or that you were in a tent. Were you mostly camping along the way or was it hotels? How did that work? Mostly camping. There was a few spots where I did hotels just because that was the only option I had. Uh, I was in a tight spot a few times and I just, it was raining. So I, I, there was no place to go. So I just go to a hotel and kind of figure out what's my next move. But a lot of it, yeah, was, was in a tent or, uh, I guess there was one time as a, like a hunting lodge. That was pretty cool. So not a hotel, yeah. but also not camping. Yeah. A lodge. When you were camping, um, you know, obviously you're trying to optimize any power that you get to go, you know, into charging your EV so you can get on the road. But did you use, what did you use to power any, other ancillary things that you had on you, like your phone or lighting or whatever. Yeah. So I had a smaller solar um, generator that was one sun power panel, hundred watt, and then a Victron inverter, a Victron charge controller, and then a battery I built myself out of 18650 cells, which I didn't have a BMS on it. So every time I charge it, I have to like monitor all the cell voltages so I don't overcharge it. And I was going to put the BMS on it before I left and I never got time. And I was like, oh, I got to go. Uh, so I just, mm. I just ran with it, but that was enough power to charge the one wheel. It was enough power to cook 
to boil water for coffee. And because it was just one panel and it was, uh, I had shading issues on my big array, that single panel, hundred Watts, I could generate 700 kilo, 700 watt hours in a day on a good day of power. Wow. And the one wheel is like 328 or something. So I could, I could go drive the one wheel for 30 miles a day if I wanted to just on that one 100 watt panel. That's how efficient it was. So. Wow. Great. Okay. So you had a, a setup to do everything else you needed and that never really ran into any issues. It was always able to supply what you needed. Yeah, it was always there. Although I wish, I wish it was a 48 volt system, but it's just what I had mm-hmm. from a few years ago. That mm-hmm. way I could, I could augment my larger array. And there's a few times when I let the, uh, the main battery in the, uh, with the solar go completely dead and it wasn't waking up. And I was like, Oh no, I wish I, I don't have any 48 volt system to jump it. Um, yeah. but luckily the inverter was somehow able to, uh, fiddling with it, it would j- kickstart it and it would turn back on, but it was like dead in the water. You know, the BMS had shut down the, my auxiliary battery and it wasn't putting out any voltage. Oh. And so it's like, I got all this solar power, but nowhere to put it. Cause I can't turn the inverter on and communicate with the battery. <laughs> oh, bummer. Yeah. There's all these moving parts to make sure that you're optimizing and also just knowing the state of these, this technology that you're working with is your... I mean, of course, there's tools to help, but you also have the background where you can kind of reason out, like you were saying, to understand how much you should be charging and and then discharging from the batteries. Do you think that if someone else were to do this, they would need to have the same background as you? No, I see a lot of people that are just enthusiastic about solar. And then you just go to YouTube and you start reading up and asking questions or Reddit or wherever you find the information, you can get it. So, I mean, it's definitely good to have... A, you know, good high school level physics background, just so you understand, you know, power, voltage, amps, that sort of thing. But I think anybody could do it with a with a decent amount of physics background. Yeah, just take a quick YouTube physics course, I bet, and you could be able to get through it. Okay, that's good. Um, I mean, all the equations were... are the same. So, you know, it's yeah. like I'm mechanical, but power is power. And instead of, you know, torque times speed or whatever, it's voltage times current and all this stuff. So it's all the same equations. Yeah, I feel like you have this kind of, you can have the technical prowess in whatever way, even if it's just basic to get through it. But also, of course, it sounds like you need a little bit of camping skills, perhaps some personable yeah. skills to ask for help along the way if you need yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. That's a, that helped just, a lot. I bet it did. And so I know that some days like you weren't able to get the charge that you needed, but on the days that you were and you were kind of having maybe more optimal conditions. What were the, was there a day when you drove more miles than any other day? Like what were the, what was the most number of miles that you were able to hit in a day? You know, I did some testing before I left and I could get almost 400 miles in the car, but I never had those good conditions. So the first leg mm-hmm. I went 330 and I think that was the furthest I went, but I was going up in altitude, 4,000 feet. So mm-hmm. that was pretty good going 330 miles, you know, the rate Heck of yeah. I've got like a, at least a thousand pounds of extra weight in the back of the car. So going uphill with extra weight, you know, it's, it's not like, not exactly like towing, but that's a lot to still hit the 330 mile mark in the model Y. Definitely. Okay. So you started off strong. Yeah. Maybe the strongest. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, how fast did you go on average? Was it slow? Was it annoying? It's, it's around 55. So, I really, when you're going 55 on the interstate and people know you can go much faster, they're annoyed, but you get behind like a little Toyota that's pulling a camper and they're going 50. Everyone knows that's as fast as he can go, right? Honking at him is not going to do anything. So if I found someone like that, I just stay behind them. And then people are like, oh, he's just stuck behind the Toyota. He's, you know, <laughs> and then <laughs> it was easier to go 55. Yeah. Like, which is funny because the cannonball is all about, I can't drive 55 miles an hour. In my case, I want to drive 55 miles an hour. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause I mean, like what's the opposite of a cannonball, just a slow rolling cannonball. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like you had to kind of, I mean, a lot of the optimization, it really works in an EV. If you slow down, you can really increase your efficiency um, and finding where to sit on the highway. I'm sure it was really important. And then, you know, I feel like, I mean, I don't know if you would just pick up and go as far as you could if you didn't get the charts that you wanted, but was there one place that you spent the most amount of time along your way for whatever reason? Yeah, in uh, Tennessee. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. nice. Where, where you're at. Um, 
yeah, I got to a site and I started setting up and they told me I couldn't put the panels on the grass. Maybe you saw that video. And so I had to move all the panels onto this pea gravel and then it was cloudy and there's a solar eclipse the same day and it was just a nightmare. So I didn't get enough charge and the next four days were cloudy. I'm like, well, I I can't stay here. Um, There's nothing I can do here. And so that's where I went to a hotel for four days. And then I went to another site, Defeated Creek for, I don't know if it was four days as well. I forget. It's, it's all kind of a blur now, but I was, I was in there for at least 10 days in right around uh, the middle of Tennessee, just trying to find a way to get out. And it was just too rainy. The places I had had too much shade and I was just kind of stuck. <laughs> so, oh, oh, bummer. So I, I mean, would, yeah, yeah. So I would, so I would kind of look at, well, how far do I have to go or how far can I go? And I look at the weather forecast and I have an app that would show me the solar radiation throughout the day. And I would look at the solar radiation off of the next three days and kind of say, okay, I, I think I could get about, you know, 40% state of charge this day or that day. And then I would start looking for sites that were that distance away. So I'd say, okay, in three days, I anticipate being at this charge so I can go this far. And then I start looking for the next spot that's that far away. So I needed to find a place sometimes within 24 hours of mm. from when I, I knew when I was going to leave to when I actually left. Okay. What, what, um, what apps did you use to find sites? I know I love Campendium, which is a great camping site. Did you use anything yeah, like that? I didn't, but some people told me about it while I was there. Um, I was mostly using uh, recreation.gov because I wanted to stay on you know government uh, federal sites. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, once I got to the Bureau of Land Management, there's lots of apps. I had an app in you know Google, Google Earth, and Satellite yes. Viewer, my friends, because yes. I needed to see how much area do I have, and I could zoom in <clears throat> and look at the scale and say, okay, I need 20 feet by 50 feet area. Can I find that on the map? And that would kind of determine where I go. Was that ever stressful, or was it usually like I'll just figure it out? I got to figure it out. Yeah, it was it was really stressful because <laughs> I don't have um, I don't have a backup plan. I think if you watch some of my videos, you'll see a lot of times I get in it at zero percent or negative one percent or two percent or point four percent, and there's not a whole lot of backup. My, my biggest backup plan was worst case I pull into a uh, a rest area and I set up the panels at a rest stop and charge there. But I I was concerned they would chase me off. You know, someone come by and but you can't do that here. You got to go. And, you know, setting up for two hours and then charging for an hour and then tearing down again would not be a fun day. So I was able to make it every single stop that I planned out, except one that was a little overly ambitious. I wanted to go 380 miles, but I had a backup spot planned. So, um, but yeah, if I didn't hit my stop, you know, I'm watching the, the trip computer where it's saying when, what percent I'll arrive. And it's funny because it started to learn how I'm driving. Yeah. And it was getting really accurate. So I was surprised. You know, at first it would say I'm getting there at like negative 20% or 30% because of how I had driven before. And then it started to learn and it says, you're going to get there at 4%. Sure enough, I get there at 4%. And then of course, on my way back from the cannonball, I'm going 75, 80. And it's saying, you know, I'm going to get there at 30%. I get there at zero, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> the trip computer, the, it had learned how efficient I was driving and it was projecting that. So mm. it got really good to where it was just kind of me in the car, just kind of knowing how the car was was reading my driving and kind of calibrating its calculations. And then I knew I could kind of push it. I could speed up or slow down to kind of kind of hone in on its projected number. And that was really helpful. So I sometimes I just used the car uh, projection because it knew how I was driving. So I just punch in the address and it would say, you get there at, you know, negative 4%. And I'm like, well, I'm going to charge another 5% today. So I'm good. <laughs> Nice. I love that it can be as dynamic enough to learn how we're driving and be able to make estimates on that and that you can grow to trust it because you don't, you don't want to rely on it if it's going to leave you stranded. So in most of the time you were showing up zero negative, a little bit percent Mm -hmm. state of charge, which you don't want to show, like you want that to be planned. (laughs) You want that so that when you get there, you, you aren't just sitting around with zero percent and you're talking about backup plans or trying to prepare for this, but sometimes you kind of have to go with the flow. Did anything break along the way that you had to replace um, or that you didn't expect to break? No, it was, that was actually the smoothest part. I had no uh, mechanical failures of anything. In fact, 
you know, a lot of engineers, it's, it's called a, a paralysis by analysis. You spend all this time analyzing it before you do it. And I was on such a tight schedule. When the panels came, I went and tested, and I only got to test half the panels. And I left for the trip with half the panels completely untested. Um, and everything worked. And I didn't have a single panel failure. I had the wind, you know, rip some out um, uh, at times. And I had no failures with any of the panels. All the electronics worked. So that was pretty smooth. The only thing is I got a crack in the windshield, but that was the only mm. mechanical failure. <laughs> that that happens. Um, so this is like a pretty good, uh, I don't know, like non-sponsored ad for SunPower or the Maxion uh panels that they apparently don't make anymore yeah. um, uh, you, you know uh, well yep. you got the last good bit of them so hopefully something similar of uh, where you can just go with half of them tested and have that you know product quality testing apparently whatever they're doing work for you in that way so that's pretty good i i'm, I'm yeah. glad that nothing broke but um you know i know you said that like you couldn't really veer off course so if you had to um that probably would have i mean of course that would have been a bummer but that happens on road trips things yeah, come was- up that are unexpected Yep. And that was a thought is, you know, if, if it fails, it fails. And some of the campsites had uh 240 volt for the campers. So if it failed at a yeah. campsite, I could just, you know, unplug it out of my thing and plug it into the campsite and charge. <laughs> How tempted were you at some of the maybe cloudiest days, literally and figuratively to use a charger? Only the day I was about to quit. Uh, when they told me I could put the panels on the grass and I'd been up all night. I was so tired, uh, and so I started redoing. I looked at the charger, like you know, I, I did a Google uh, map search to my house. It's like it would take me ten hours to get home. I could pull <laughs> the car ten feet, and I could plug in right there. I could spend the night, and I'd be home in a day. Oh! And I was like, no, nah, no. I, my wife talked me out of it, so I kept going. That was the only oh, time good. it was tempted. And after that, it was like, no, nah, it was good. <laughs> Perseverance, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard, but I—I I mean, would you say it was worth it? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's really, it got me out of my comfort zone and, uh, to do something totally different. And that's, that's always cool. You really learn a lot, grow a lot when you just go out and do something you normally would never do. Yeah. Maybe it works or doesn't work, but in the process you've learned so many things about yourself and you know what you're capable of. So. And I'm sure you met a lot of people along the way. Some that sound like they weren't helpful. Some that were, but did you meet any fun friends along the way? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Fulton was, he was pretty cool. His farm, uh, that was where I, I asked, I was, you know, complaining about places. I couldn't find any place to go. And my wife said, well, just call a farm. I'm like, yeah, they don't have phone numbers. So I searched smart. on Google and, um, sure enough, uh, his daughter was selling stuff that she was making at the farm. So I called her up, talked to him, ended up at his place and he put me up in his, uh, um, barn dominium. And I just hung out with him the whole time. The car's charging, you know, on private property, safe from anything. I didn't have to worry about it. So I could remotely monitor everything. And we just drove around and I helped him out on the farm and did, uh, it's like a, you know, kind of like a farm hand. I grew up on a farm when I was little. So it was kind of nice to be around, you know, farm animals again, but, but yeah, it's interesting people I would meet and, uh, you know, I'm there for a while at a campsite. So yeah. you get to talk to people and get to know them. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's really fun. Um, I, you know, I think about you meeting people along the way. And of course, for whatever reason, sometimes like I can think through the thought process and try to understand, but, you know, electric vehicles and renewable energies can be a, you know, a space where there's a lot of misconceptions, but also where it gets political, where it gets about taking sides. And when you're meeting people along the way, obviously you're like, you have this setup, so it's pretty obvious. Look at look at me. What am I? What the heck am I doing over here? So it starts that conversation. But did you meet any misconceptions along the way uh, that were interesting, or that maybe you were able, I mean, to to kind of talk to people about this and understand where they're coming from if they did have any sort of I don't know pushback to what you were doing? Yeah, you know, most of the people were pretty positive. I'd meet a few people where. They, it was like they were offended that I drove an EV, like I was personally attacking them. Um, and I, I didn't understand that. But most of the people, they would come by, you know, I'm camping and I'm setting up one panel, two panels. And they're kind of watching, like, oh, he's setting up some panels. And they keep watching and they keep watching and it keeps getting more and more. And they come up, they're like, what are you doing? And it's like, my wife says you're charging your car. I'm like, yeah, I'm charging the car. <laughs> 
And so that kind of starts the conversation. And I think a lot of people that are out camping, they all know solar power because they've either wanted to put it on their RV or they've wanted it for one reason or another. So when they see this giant array just kind of piecing itself together on, you know, in the grass, it really got them interested. So most of it was was pretty positive and people thought it was cool. But there were a few people that were, you know, against EVs for political reasons. But, you know, that's fine. I had fun. Was that- yeah, was it mostly? Um, I mean, I that's what I find too is that um, typically out in in life, people are positive. They're relating to other people. We don't have to get into it, but I think since you know, especially the pandemic, there's been a bit more and more divides between people. When it's just like let's just all have fun and be curious and positive, and out on the road, you can typically find more positivity than you can in comments online. So I'm glad that you found that. And um, uh, was it those who? maybe weren't, you know, were finding it offensive that you were driving an EV. Was it mostly because they, they're worried about regulation and how that's going to impact them, like having to use an EV or more renewable yeah. energy resources? I think a lot of it's because the, you know, some of the policies that are being written are in a way to force people into EVs. And so that's what people don't like. So they don't want to be told what to do. Um, but that doesn't mean that me driving an EV that I'm telling you, you have to drive an EV. So yeah. it's I kind of separate the two. It's like, yeah, I can, I can understand your frustration. You know, the government is taxing and putting a lot of regulations on internal combustion engines, and that's driving the cost mm-hmm. up. And they got to pay for that. And that goes to EV tax credit. So if I'm a taxpayer and I got to pay more for my truck so that someone else gets a deal on their Tesla, I'd be upset. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's uh, that's different. You know, I'm I'm just I like EV. So, you know, if there was no tax break on it, I'd still get an EV. So. Uh, so I can understand the frustration with EVs, but Mm -hmm. it's, it, I think it should be directed more towards policy that they're frustrated with, not necessarily the electric vehicle itself, because that's just, that's cool technology. And, you know, where else can you get 500 horsepower in a car that, you know, has these crazy zero to 60 times. It just drives great. The technology is awesome. Um, you know, I, I kind of think of it, you know, if they came out with a car that was an internal combustion engine. And I said, you know, I can give you this car. It's got a V8. It's got 500 horsepower. But here's the deal. I'm only going to charge you a dollar a gallon for gas. And then, oh, wait, um, you don't have to go fill up with a gas tank. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to fill it up every single night for a dollar a gallon. Would you buy that car? I mean, ice people would go crazy if they could fill yeah. up a dollar a gallon at home and never have to go to a gas station. Well, that's what it's like to drive an EV. You know, you go home, you plug it in and it fills up overnight. And it costs you 11 cents a kilowatt hour. Maybe I'm sure it's more in other places, but it's so cheap and it's got 500 horsepower. So why not? And then it's like, well, what, what about a road trip? It's like, okay, you know, you go see your parents on Thanksgiving and you go drive 12 hours. And instead of stopping at gas stations and then going to McDonald's or wherever you're going to eat, you stop at a Myers and you spend the same time you would there, except you go into Myers and you get snacks for grocery store prices instead of convenience store prices. And you eat at the deli there and you're back on the road. So for me, road trips, it doesn't take any longer instead of going, you know, if I'm doing a 10 hour trip, I'm stopped two hours, you know, with breaks and everything with the kids. And I spend maybe an hour of that charging. So it doesn't change mm-hmm. my driving habits that much. Um, and that's just on road trips. So the rest of the time I, you know, you see all these lines at the gas station and it's like, yeah, I forgot what it's like to go to a gas station and have to wait in line or get up and get out in the cold and pump the gas in the cold. It's like, I just plug in it at the garage and I'm done. So, yeah, it, it's true. I think you obviously had experience having this conversation with multiple people because um, you can articulate it well, I can tell. And I think understanding, of course, meeting people where they are is important because once you kind of are exposed to the technology, it's fun and it can be exciting. And it's like, doesn't have to be this divisive thing. And when I think about solar power as well, which is perhaps just a completely, you happen to be driving around with both an EV and solar power, solar panels. But um, when we think of, you know, independence, I think of microgrids and um, that obviously I think can appeal to also similar people who maybe like the regulation Mm -hmm. and the policy, which is pushing them is, you know, what they're against. But do you have, um, a microgrid at home? Did did you talk to, about microgrids along the way? No, I don't. Um, but uh, I did find that when I started looking into inverters and I got on the Solark and I started looking at YouTube videos, a lot of people with these are preppers. I'm like, oh, wait a second. That makes total sense because they want energy independence. You know, they want to have their own thing. They don't want to have to rely on, you know, prices and fluctuations in the market. 
So it's kind of like you go full circle, you know, on the political spectrum all the way to these preppers that want energy independence and they're doing solar powered battery. And so that's pretty cool, but I don't, I don't right now. And, uh, that's something I'd like to get into is to do off grid solar, uh, EV charging. So let's say you have a cabin up North and a cyber truck and some of these trucks are the perfect use case. So they've already got the inverter. They've already got a massive battery. So you could drive up to your cabin and plug in a solar array to your truck, and then it charges the battery in the truck. And now you've got, you know, a thousand or 10,000 watts of electricity to power your cabin. So you've already got all the equipment you need right in your truck or for mobile, you know, workstations, offsite construction, where you're running, you know, cutoff saws and all this kind of stuff. You know, you take the truck out there and you've got everything you need. You don't have to run generators. I remember construction sites, it'd just be generator after generator. You get there and they're just, and then nail guns, you know, and generators all day long. It'd be really nice if it was all silent, you know, just electric. Oh my gosh. So true. I think that that is a, a really interesting part of, um, you know, more electric tools in life. It's that the noise pollution goes down a bunch and that can really drive people crazy. Me included. The uh, Really the leaf blowers in my neighborhood. <laughs> I'm like, everyone needs to get rakes again. We just need to rake our leaves or just leave them. <laughs> but that is a, an interesting aspect. So it's 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 really um, just cool how holistic you get to think about all of this and all the time probably you had to think when you're out on this trip. And is there anything that you you brought that you were so happy that you brought that you would be like, if you're going to do this, do not forget this? Yeah, I would say my little AeroPress coffee maker. That thing is so convenient and it's so easy to yeah. clean up when you're camping. You just pop out like a, it pops out like a puck of coffee grounds and then you just wipe it with a paper towel and you're done. So yeah, that, Perfect. the other thing is probably my, uh, my Garmin watch that, yeah. that, uh, you know, I bought it like used on Craigslist. It's the last gen Phoenix, but it's got, it's got a compass so I can figure out which way South to point the array before the sun's up. It's got altimeter. So when I'm going uphill and I'm in the car, one thing I don't like about Tesla is it doesn't show you your altitude, but my watch shows me a little graph. So I can be monitoring my altitude and my uh, watt hours, my energy use in the car and be like, oh, it's getting kind of high. And I look at my graph and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going up in altitude. And then it's got, um, you know, it's got the weather. So I can just quickly look at the weather to see what the temperature is going to be like. And then it's got a cool little chart that shows the sun and it shows where, you know, where, when it's going to sun, the sunrises and sunset, um, dusk and dawn. So I kind of look at that and be like, okay, I'm at solar noon, which is different than noon, noon. And so, okay, so this should be peak power output right now. And so I love that. The, the Garmin Phoenix watch was like the perfect companion, I think, for any kind of outdoor, you know, solar adventure. <laughs> I don't know who else is going to do something similar, but get a Garmin. <laughs> yeah, I do love Garmin. I had a Garmin watch for a while. I still have it. I just stopped using it. Um, but I mean, it's all the, all the stats that it tracks. I think it can be so, so useful if you're getting out, going anywhere, like even if you're on the roads, but camping and stuff, outdoor sports. So those are good tools, coffee and a good watch uh, yeah. with, with the, all the, like the Swiss army kind of watch. Mm -hmm. That's really, is there anything that you wish you had brought that maybe you collected along the way, but you were like, mm, this would have really been handy. Yeah. Um, warmer clothes. Because <laughs> mm, yep. I planned everything out to leave earlier and spend less time doing it. So I was out way later than I planned on it. And so I went to REI and it's like, you know, I have that coat at home. I'm not going to buy another one. So I'm just kind of going to do with what I got, which is like a fleece mm. and a rain jacket. <laughs> but I got some mm. long underwear and that with that, you know, layers, it it helped. But yeah, I was layers. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Back lighter. Mm -hmm. I probably should have taken less stuff. And when I was at my uncle's in Oklahoma, I was able to store a lot of stuff there and downsize, which was the best thing. So if anything, say, take a lot as minimum as you can. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Pack light. Cause also, I, I mean, you want enough space, but also the most efficient kind of packing, which is layers. I feel like that's what like backpackers know or extreme sports people. They're like, yeah, I know how to pack for every kind of weather, but if you're cold and wet, I mean, that really ruins the yeah. mood gotta say. And, yeah. um, I know you did a lot of research obviously before you left and especially with the time that you had, was there any research you found when you were doing your research that actually, when you were on the road, you were like, I can improve this bit of research or actually this research wasn't 
maybe it wasn't catered to me or my thing that you were like, "Mm, well, actually, I don't know. I, the, uh, the one thing that kind of caught me off guard was I was going to forget the website. Um, PV watt. I don't know. I have to look it up, but it gives you the solar charts and you can kind of see what solar radiation is doing throughout the year. And I tested my panel and everything was working great, but the wires on my panels, I could only space them so far. And during the summer, that's no problem because the sun's higher in the, the sky, but this late in the year, I'm getting shade on the other panels. And that was something that I didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, a solar panel, if you get a little shade on it, it makes a huge hit because it starts turning that little cell into a resistor and it kills the rest of the panel. Mm-hmm. So that was something where if I had done more research on, you know, panel angle and where the sun was going to be in the sky and, you know, something I overlooked, that would have helped a lot. So mm-hmm. the panel with longer, longer leads so that I could space them out better, I would have gotten significantly more power. So what it would typically look like is you'd have your solar power. It looked like this big dome. But in the morning and the evening, I get a ton of shade on the panel because it casts these really long shadows. So instead of getting this dome of power, I was getting like this really narrow um, band of power. So that's why it took so much longer. I think the best day I got 30 kilowatt hours in one day, but I could have done over 40 in a day if I had been in optimal conditions. I wasn't getting shade in the morning. So So do you think it, so it's more about, I mean, that's out of your control a bit, right? The the weather. Yeah. Um, yeah. So also, I mean, of course, m- being sure to optimize the way that you place your solar panels, but weather came into this a lot. And I kind of want to ask, like, how did you deal with weather? Not only with the charging, but it affects the range of your EV as well. And, and also the um, just, you know, the, the chain of events that we've talked about from the sun to your EV battery. And um, those batteries get cold too, that are along the way in the inverter. So how did, yeah, how did you deal with weather? Yeah, that was, you know, my plan, I didn't plan to be that cold because I was going to leave earlier. The weather, the solar radiation charts, they kind of average it out. And you can see weather included what you're going to average get over the, I think they did like a 10-year period. So I had some of that data and the plan was I just got to wait it out. But some of the others like the cold and driving in rain, luckily I didn't have to drive in rain. Or if it was, it was just misting. But if you're driving through pooled water, that's a huge, huge hit in range. In fact, the day I, I delayed the day I was going to leave by about two days because I was going to go to New York City and they had just gotten a bunch of flooding, which I didn't watch the news, so I didn't know about it. And I was watching YouTube. I was thinking like Casey Neistat and he has this video on the flooding in New York. I'm like, oh, that's where I'm going. <laughs> it's flooding. You know, if you're driving through six inches of water. Uh, that's huge because it's just you're your a boat almost. You're just plowing through water. So I delayed it a few days when I got to New York City it was still kind of wet, but all the flooding was down. So that was the only time where it almost really hurt me. But other than that, the weather, I never got snowed on. On the way back, it started snowing. I never got snowed on, and I never had to drive through pooled water. All I had to do okay. was deal with the cold, which I switched my driving style. Instead of going really late at night for low traffic, I would leave right after I charged. So the whole car is all warmed up, and that would really help. When you start off with a warm car, uh, then you have all that retained heat in the battery and it doesn't, doesn't hurt it as much. So yeah, that's kind of how I dealt with the the elements. Yeah. And they can like, you know, that's out of your control. And of course, as we've seen lately too, with um, uh, the cold weather, that EV range is affected, the, how quickly your battery can charge is affected. Were you able to like, I guess you didn't need, no, never mind. Of course you don't precondition with slow charging, but um, you know, you, you still want kind of decent conditions. And uh, did you, were you able to like internally within your model? Y, like, did you have to climate control in there to make things most efficient? Well, it had the heat pump. So that helped, I think heating the battery, keeping that warm, more efficient. But I think on, except for a rare occasion where I knew I was going to get to a site with extra power and have extra charging. I think I ran HVAC once, but usually all I would do is the heated seat and the heating steering wheel. And, you know, my toes would get a little cold when it's like mm-hmm. 30 degrees outside. But, yeah, it's like I'm not turning on the heat because you're so conscious about every watt you're using. It's like if I run this heater, it's like, okay, that's another two hours of charging. Like, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all numbers in your head, all optimization. No, nothing, yeah. no sacrifice is too little to not be considered. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, did did your ex- expectations in general really play out in in what you experienced? I know that you planned for 30 days or 40 days. You went for 57. I know that you kind of were like, this trip is 3,000 miles, maybe 10 charge cycles. Those were your beginning estimates. But how did it actually play out? I think I've got, so I'm, I've got a few videos left to finish up the story. I'm working on stop 11 video now, and then stop Great. 12 was my final charge. And then stop 13 was the hotel. So 13 stops, I think. Not bad. Yeah. Lucky number 13. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so, I mean, of course you can try to plan for it, but things change along the way. It wasn't too disappointing. Probably it was just, I mean, did you see it more of an experiment? I, I say this a lot where I'm like, if you're going to maybe take an EV into your lifestyle right now, it's best if you have kind of, um, that I'm experiencing this new kind of technology and I'm going to be curious about it and that it might be different than what I'm doing, but having the experiential mindset is useful. Is that, did you find that useful for yourself as well? Yeah, I had never done um, BLM camping before. So, and, and a lot of the apps, like the one that you mentioned, I, I wasn't aware of. So sometimes when I'm at the campsite, people are educating me on, you know, where to get the best information and which apps to use. I'm like saving it on my phone and taking screenshots and everything. So it was pretty cool uh, just learning from other people. And also, I think the, uh, you know, I, I don't have that many subscribers. It's It's actually growing kind of fast right now, but for the most of it is like around a thousand. And so everyone that's subscribed and watching my videos is a fan. And so all my comments are positive. I'm getting all thumbs up and support, you know, everyone's encouraging me along the way. So kind of having that YouTube community being real small and not getting viral where you've got everyone, you know, looking at it. It's just people that really want to see it is, was pretty awesome. So I'm getting a lot of support from, you know, my subscribers and people commenting on the videos. So that was cool. Yeah. I mean, listeners definitely go check out Joe's channel, which is all linked in the show notes. So don't miss it. Um, and, and follow along because yeah, you have some episodes left, but I've been watching your videos and they're great. I love them. Um, and on, on your, so you made it to the end, obviously you're back home on the, when you made it to the end, how did that feel? You made it to the hotel that your wife said, you got to get there. It was the biggest relief. (laughs) It's uh, it was so long and it was so much harder than I thought it was going to be when I was finally there. It was just finally, you know, the, the, the most fun was the next day. And I went to a supercharger and you plug it into a supercharger and it's like, Oh, it's, so, it's so fast. You don't, you know, people complain about charging speeds and yeah, it's, it's slower than filling up a gas tank. But when you've been solar charging and then you get to a supercharger, that's, Man. you know, 250 kilowatts of power and you've been trickle charging on, you know, two to six, it's, it's amazing. That really puts it into perspective there. You get a reality check on <laughs> what is fast and what is not fast charging. Yeah, I bet you felt I'm a huge never, sense of relief. Yeah, it's like I'm never complaining about charging speeds again. <laughs> no, really. I mean, yeah, we should send Kyle on a solar cannonball challenge. I bet that would change his whole narrative. <laughs> yeah. 50 kilowatts, that's it? That's it? <laughs> I only oh did God. it for five minutes. This is horrible. <laughs> Yeah, only joking. But yeah, I mean, I feel like it was an incredible experience. And like, um, who else has done this? Yeah, there's, um, I mean, Australia, EV racing is pretty cool, uh, pretty popular, but it's a lot of the college students doing these, you know, pure um, solar car racing. There was a vehicle, a couple in uh, Europe that did a tour through Africa. And they had about the same size setup and they had a rooftop tent. And they would, when they couldn't get charging, they would charge with solar. I think they did charge, you know, they charge at local power plants and dams and hydropower and solar. Um, but they went all through Africa on in their Amazing. rig. That was pretty I'm, cool. I think four by four electric. And then um, there's some students here in Michigan that are building. They wanted, they tried it, I think, last year to do a solar cannonball run. And they broke down, I think, in Indiana. And they're rebuilding the car and they're going to go this summer. So I, I talked with them briefly and maybe I'll get back in touch with them, but they're going to go this summer and they should be able to do it pretty quick, you know, with a pure solar car just built by just the two of them, I think. So it's not a real large uh-huh. team, which that's going to be pretty cool. Um, and then of course, when Aptera comes out, if, if they make it, you know, it's their, I've worked for startups before and it's kind of tough 
uh, I can feel their pain trying to get mm-hmm. funding. It's, you know, you have this great idea, but if you can't fund it, it's really tough. But if they can pull through, that would be some really cool road trips in the Aptera. I need to get the dimensions inside to see how many panels you could fit, though. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to pull a little mini Aptera trailer yeah. behind you with all the solar panels. Yeah. I mean, that's really cool to hear about what's going on all over the world. And, you know, you traveled around the U.S. You got to see it in a new way and in a lot slower way than any other kind of road trip, really. You were forced to sit and stay. Were there any perceptions that you held before you started your solar cannonball trip that have changed when it comes to the U.S. or um, EVs, solar power, whatever it might be? Yeah, um, I've traveled a lot, but I've never traveled. I usually go to Colorado, and then that's as far as I've gone. So I've never gone past Colorado into uh, California much. So that was part of the country I'd never really seen. And it was it was similar, but it was cool to just be, you know, coast-to-coast road trip. I kind of want to do it again with my family, but not solar, um, to kind of retrace the route and visit all the stops and meet all the people I met, places I stayed and maybe do it with a cyber truck when, when my reservation comes up, you know, take the whole family to New York and do the hotel version. And we'll just drive across the country and check out all the locations and kind of, you know, some of the people, they say, Hey, you got to come back. You got to visit. So, um, I'll have to go back and visit. I love that. Yeah. So you do it again, but maybe not under the same circumstances. Yeah. And it probably, if I was going to do something similar, it would be, uh, to have a trailer that has built-in solar that you don't mm. have to set up. So you just get to your site, you park, and then the array opens up kind of simple and then you charge and you could go. But the problem with a trailer and a truck, you know, it kills your range, like half the yeah. range. And yeah. So I don't know if it would work, but for camping, it would be awesome. Yeah. You, know, you could go out camp, you go some remote location, stay for four or five days, have a full charge and then, you know, go home or go wherever. So. Mm-hmm. It'd be, be interesting to compare when you add a trailer on, but then, you know, which can make some things more efficient, how it really affects the rest of it and have a comparison to your Model Y uh, self-contained solar setup. And I mean, congratulations, you did it. It's so cool. Um, I really, you know, admire your tenacity, all the work that you put into it. And I'll look forward to seeing those last videos coming out. Um, do you have any more plans? Are you going to sit still for a while? I mean, not that you didn't sit still a good pit along the way, but now now that you're done, what comes next for you, Joe? Well, right now I'm, I'm basically looking for work. Um, my six months is gone, so I need some income. But I'm doing some consulting, some mechanical engineering consulting, and I like to do you know drive unit gearboxes, so custom gearboxes, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then also some of my projects are the next one, which I don't know if I'll have enough funding for, is to basically build the world's fastest cart or go-kart electric car, cart, anything. So I want to put four motors, one in each wheel and have it, I mean, about 160 horsepower, have a 20 kilowatt ducted fan, 30 horsepower fan that would suck it to the ground, do zero to 60 in less than a second. Um, so I've been kind of working on that in SolidWorks, you know, how it would work. Nice. Testing different batteries and things like that. So could I really make a car that could accelerate, brake, and corner at three Gs and do zero to 60, 60 in less than a second? Um, Dang. So that's that one of the be- things I'm working on. Um, mm-hmm. And then, oh, I've I, once I kind of finish up this story, I did take my one wheel and I went over Monarch Pass last year. And what I did was I calculated mm-hmm. how far I could get on the other side of the pass, go over the pass and then downhill and regen the, the one wheel going downhill, see how far I could oh. go. So I drained the battery going up Monarch pass, charged it going down and then rode it out. And the normal range is like 17 miles. And I went 37 miles on a charge just wow, regening the battery on the one wheel. So I probably work on that video. And then, uh, you know, it'd be really cool to do a camper for the cyber truck that has a bunch of solar built in and mm-hmm. has a good aerodynamic profile. So, I, uh, 
I wanted to, you know, I, I call the solar setup in my car, I called it the, the solar encabulator, kind of a throwback to these old uh, funny videos of the turbo encabulator, the retro encabulator. And uh, I think if I did a trailer for the cyber truck, it would be the cyber encabulator. There you go. And uh, I just snagged the domain cyberencabulator.com. So that would be really <laughs> cool to have this uh, camper that's exoskeleton, kind of like the cyber truck, but probably be aluminum with a solar array on top that could charge the truck. And then, you know, it would have a good drag coefficient. So I'm actually studying up the Cybertruck right now, trying to use information from Kyle's uh, range test, 70 mile range mm -hmm. test to kind of back into knowing the drag coefficient and uh, kind of back into and build a model of the efficiency and range of the truck and then modify that with trailer to figure out what the new drag coefficient, what the range would be and what kind of drag coefficient I would need to get an acceptable range. So I've been kind of crunching some numbers on that. But those are kind of bigger projects. Right now I'm focused on, you know, engineering, um, design consulting and things like that, just to make money so that I can go and do these other cool projects. So Yeah, it sounds like you're not short of ideas and really cool ideas. Um, so I'd I'd love to uh keep up with everything that you do and you know, always feel free to let me know if there's anything that um we can or I can do to like support you or whatever. I mean, it's really I love that you're you're a, a a dreamer and kind of like you have the skills, the technical expertise to to make it into something. So I can't wait to see what you do next. And um, the one wheel story is really cool. I gotta love it. You're having fun, and yep. you know, of course, good luck on the in on the job front. You know that can be that can take some time, but uh, yeah, best of luck and. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and telling me your story. I really appreciate it. And I, I hope our listeners will too. I think they will. And I, I wonder if they'll have more questions for you. And if you do, I mean, of course, ask them in the comments below and Joe can come through, but go over to Joe's channel and track his, his story, his, his very slow, amazing solar <laughs> cannonball adventure from New York yes. to LA. And then of course, at the end, you put the solar panels away and you got home with supercharging, which is, yep. don't blame you. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Um, I hope y'all are staying warm up north and uh, look forward to staying in touch, Joe. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I appreciate all the videos and, and you, you know, all the stuff you're doing with Kyle. That's got to be a toll. You know, the Cybertruck stuff, everyone's been eating that up. So it's oh really gosh, cool. Yeah. I don't know how you, how you do all those videos so quick, but... <laughs> I got to say, it's some long hours and it's some long hours and you know, you, you do your best. It's fun. It is, it does become high paced. And then I come home and I can kind of slow these down, slow things down with the podcast. But, um, you know, we're always trying to cover interesting stuff and luckily there's, there's never a sh short in topics, which I, I really love about working in this space. There's always someone to highlight or some story or some interesting new bit of the technology. So it's really fun. So thank you for watching, of course. And I'm excited for you to get your cyber truck when you do keep me in. Have you heard anything? I mean, they're kind of moving slowly. Yeah, I think I'm around 170,000 on the list. So I'm guessing it'll be at least a year before. Yeah. Okay. But, but you have plenty of time to prep, do yep. your research, get your prototypes going. Yep. Yeah. I need to start. I need to find someone that has one and I can model it, you know, dimensionally accurate in SolidWorks so I can start designing around it. So all right. Yeah, so if I find Anyone? someone that has one, um, I'll show yeah. up with some instruments and start modeling it. <laughs> How fun. That would be so fun. Yeah. I mean, there's always room to work with people in this space. So yep. hopefully if anyone has a cyber truck and wants to work with Joe, you you know where to go now. Yep. Well, thank you, Joe. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Out of Spec podcast. And we'll see you next time on the next episode. Ciao.